All right, guys, welcome back to RTW's Wild History Ride. I'm Thomas. I'm Will. And I'm Rhonda. And on today's episode, we are continuing our month of military with... And you're looking at me. Yes, you're I always am. clueless, always. aren't you? I never tell you're you. Leading the, you're leading the charge on I this episode. I am. And I think actually, next month is when I will start having some episodes yeah, yeah, again. Yeah, you will. You will. I know you I volunteered have at least for one. a few. Well, I you, I have at least and one. he said, you know, Rhonda was like, oh, you know, um, I was looking at, Rhonda was like, he was looking at me. I was like, I always look at you, Rhonda. I just look at you longingly. <laughs> you know, you know, just, uh-huh. just looking for your wisdom. Okay, uh-uh. Let's move on. For her wisdom. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so today's episode is attacks. On the U.S. during World War II. Okay, you too. Thomas Will. Any guesses on how many Axis attacks occurred in the U.S. during World War II? Six. Mm. Ooh, good guess. How close was I? Let me count. Oh, okay. I'll Ooh. say I'll say eight. You shouldn't have said anything because now he's going to just add to his guess. Uh, I think you're a little over there, Will. Thomas, Dang. you might be right at it. Well, as we go through, we'll wait. We'll count really? Them. Yeah. Yeah. He was there. I, I've always said time traveler. He was there. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, if I, if I was a time traveler for anywhere, I would have been the one that built the pyramids. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't I, go there. I, I, was the, I was the alien invader that they all talk about. Alien I, invader. Mm-hmm. Ancient alien. I mean, you were the ancient I mean, alien? I my big shiny round head. Oh, man. whatever. You were the ancient alien that yeah. everyone talks about? I mean, think about it. Big bald head. Was I mean, there a big bald I don't even remember I'm joking. That. Oh, wait, you never I'm know. Jo- I'm joking because that's what people describe aliens as having, the big bald head, the big bald heads. Yeah, 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 yeah. but I think they're kind of misshaped. Not yeah. Oh, yeah, like bald. gray, like Roger yeah. from uh, American the, the Dad. The grays or they're green or something. Yeah. The yeah. American Dad. Not quite I, what I you put, I just could have put like. on face paint. That's true. That's true. Green face, it's Whatever a Whatever works for you. <laughs> Let's move on. Please. <laughs> That's the next move podcast. On. Yeah. Okay. All right. Starting out, February 23rd, 1942, a Japanese submarine I-17 was off the coast of California, about uh, 12 miles north of Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. The submarine was targeting the Elwood oil field. The attack began just after dark and lasted about 20 minutes. Damage was minimal with a wrecked derrick and plump uh, pump house and most of the shells fell in the sea on the beach or on the cliffs but you can imagine how this escalated invasion fears because this was just three months after the attack on pearl harbor yeah so you can imagine yeah that oh that's such a scary time to even think about oh yeah definitely uh and continuing on with our attacks on the u.s june 21st 1942 a japanese submarine the i-25 claimed close to the oregon coast through a uh, actually followed a fishing fleet to avoid minefields off the Columbia River. Now, the submarine surfaced near Fort Stevens and fired its deck gun at the shore. Uh, the submarine was spotted by the soldiers, but they were never given permission to fire back. Uh, the submarine, and according to the fort's commander, submarine was thought to be out of range, and he really didn't want to fire back because he was afraid of giving away the location of the defenses at the fort. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the submarine fired 17 shells, leaving, uh, leaving craters around the fort, Again, damage, fortunately, was minimal. One soldier cut his head while going to his station, and that was the only casualty. He died? No, no, no. no. Oh, died. oh. He was just sorry, a casualty, I was not like, a fatality. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, not it wasn't a fatality. He was a casualty. A casualty. Yes, exactly. Oh, why did I think casualty and, like, that was Well, because most people refer to casualties as death. Yeah, that's what yeah. I guess. Ca- like, a I, casualty can just mean that there was an injury. Okay, I learned something new, too. And yeah. by the way, like, why did we not learn any of these, uh, of, like, any of these attacks? I never heard of, like, attacks on the our soil during these times, I've, I feel like. I, yeah. I don't recall it either. Seriously. I, I don't. And maybe they... Didn't think it was significant. You talked about Pearl Harbor and just 
Well, yeah, into besides World War II Pearl Harbor, I guess, like the big ones, you know? Yeah, and that that's probably the case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, again, he was the only casualty, not a fatality, and <laughs> this is the only hostile shelling of a military base on U.S. mainland during the war, and the first since the War of 1812. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's been a long time. It has been a long time. Absolutely. Uh, a few months later, September 9th, 1942, a seaplane was catapulted from a Japanese submarine, again, the I-25, and I wish I'd gotten the information on what this I-25, I-17 meant, but it's a designation for a specific Japanese submarine. Well, I can look while you're talking. Sure, sure. And uh, again, off the coast, uh, it was off the coast of Southern Oregon. The seaplane headed toward Mount Emily, and Mount Emily is in the Blue Mountains of Eastern Oregon. And the pilot's mission was to drop incendiary bombs on the forest, cause a massive fire that would divert resources from the war effort. Uh, the bomb was dropped. It created a small fire. Fortunately, the forest wasn't dry, and the fire was uh, quickly extinguished. Uh, it was, I guess, maybe, I think it was the time of year. It typically would have been dry, September, late fall, mm-hmm. uh, or mid-fall, I guess. But fortunately, they'd had a lot of rainfall, and that wasn't the case. So nothing terrible happened Oh, there. good. So it was like wetter or whatever than they thought. Yes, huh? yes. And uh, so upon examination, the area covered... 50 to 75 feet with a crater in the center. And uh, on you know researching it, the bomb nose cone and the casing fragments were found and they had Japanese markings because they really oh. actually what they had thought is someone or some of the seaplanes or the planes going up in the co- up and down the coast in the military bases on the coast mm-hmm. had somehow maybe dropped this thing. Oh, like like not on purpose or whatever. But- right. It was oh, an accident. Okay. That's what they had thought. You know, it was a U.S. plane. Is what okay, they but had then they saw thought. the writing exactly. So when they found those markings, it's like okay, we know who this is. I found. Uh, by the way, Rhonda, sorry, while you're uh, talking here, I found what the I twenty five was. Okay. So it says it was a B one type submarine of the Imperial Japanese Navy that served in World War Two. It took part in the attack on Pearl Harbor and was the only Axis submarine to carry out air. Aerial bombing on the continental United States in World War II. There you go. So I guess it was just, uh, from what I'm getting of it, it's just like, a, I, it makes it seem as if maybe each submarine has like a different classification and name, like I-25, or maybe that was its only one and it's the only one of its kind. I'm not sure. Maybe. I'm thinking it was, the only, it was a number specific to that particular, you know, I as a designation and then the number is specific to a submarine. Because again, the first one we were talking about was at the I-17. Yeah. So maybe, and, okay. I yeah. see what we're doing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, this is the first aerial bombing of a U.S. mainland by a foreign power, mm. which seems kind of odd because I, I see that now, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, we just had this in on June 21st. Oh, okay, but that was a uh, surface. I mean, that was a submarine, not a seaplane. So oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Let me back up. So this definitely was the first aerial bombing of the U.S. mainland by a foreign power. Okay, aerial bombing. Okay, a second seaplane attacked. Uh, also in September, towards the end, and fortunately, again, the forest wasn't as dry as it normally would have been, and a similar situation occurred mm. where it really didn't spread any huge forest fire and divert resources, which is what was intended. So that was also that's that a blessing. Good, that's good. a blessing. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, these days we hear about the numerous fires out west and how even here in the southeast we see smoke. Oh, randomly, just like at random times, you know? Yeah, so I could just imagine what would happen out there if you had 
planes dropping incendiary bomb incendiary bombs all over the the West. Well, you know, it gets to the point too, like you know, where you'll go down the street and you'll see like smoke, and you're like, oh, I bet they're just doing a, you know, burning something in their backyard or something like that. I'm like, there's no telling; it could be a dang cotton field or something like that that's on fire. I don't know. Yeah, you never know. Okay, so moving on between November 1944 and April 1945. Japan launched balloons carrying explosive and incendiary bombs, over 9,000 of them. Mm. Now, these drifted east. Now, they launched them in Japan. These drifted east on the jet stream and arrived in the U.S. The uh, balloon bombs were 70 feet tall, uh, 33 feet diameter, paper, uh, paper canopy. And the design helped the balloons float up into the jet stream on an average height of 30,000 feet. What if like they got de- uh, like derailed or something halfway and it just randomly hit some place it wasn't supposed to? I'm like, that's a big risk, I feel like. I, I guess. I don't know how they said, oh, okay, well, if we do this and design it this way, this is what's going to happen. I, I don't know. Uh, and apparently, you know, 9,000 of these things were turned loose, so who knows where <laughs> everything turned out. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that all of these things were accounted for. And again, this was to start fires and panic citizens. It would have worked for me. Yeah. The first balloon. <laughs> yeah, the first balloon was spotted southwest of San Pedro, California. On December 6th, officials found balloon parts and bomb casing fragments after a mysterious explosion in Wyoming. Mm. On January 4th, 1945, another balloon was found by two men near Medford, Oregon, where they had heard a blast. So when they investigated, this is what they found. Gosh. The most tragic incident occurred May 5th. And you see the, the time spread here. We started December 6th when they had found parts. Yeah. And now here we are on May 5th, 1945, when a minister, Archie Mitchell, his pregnant wife, Elsie, uh, took five children from Archie's Sunday school class on a picnic oh. near Bly, Oregon. So yeah, you can't imagine how this is going to turn out. Yeah, I already know. It sounds like we know what happened. Yeah, yeah. So Mitchell dropped his wife and the children off and went to park the car. As he got out of the car, his wife called out that she had found something. And one of the children tried to move the balloon and triggered the bomb. Oh, my God. Yes. uh, Elsie and the five children were killed. Oh, but the minister survived. He did because he was over in the parking lot. Yeah, he was like parking. Yeah, he was parking. Yeah, and she, you know, yelled out to him, "Hey, look, I found something here!" And he was about to yell back, "Don't touch it!" Because I guess maybe he had heard something about these things. Yeah, probably did. Or you know, just caution, I guess. And um, anyway, these are the only deaths due to enemy action on mainland U.S. during World War II. And it's also considered the first use of intercontinental ballistic weapons in history. Yeah, we definitely were not taught about any of that. No, I said no. I, I mean, if we were, I guess it would have been like a very brief mention, you know, of, of certain things. You know how history books will do. But um, I mean, honestly, they can kind of just pick and choose what goes in the history books, and you know, I never would have known any of this unless Rhonda researched it. Uh, yeah, and in all, three hundred and sixty-one balloons were found in twenty-six states: Canada and Mexico. So they were pretty widely they widely were very dispersed. Widely spread. Uh, most Americans didn't hear about the balloons until after the war, and the U.S. government had censored the news to keep the Japanese from finding out that the balloons were actually making it to the states. Yeah. Because I can imagine if they had found out, they would have launched more. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, they found out that it was working. Yes, yes. And so I'm not keeping track. Have you guys been counting? Is that like number four? That was four, four or five, five yeah. I think, yeah. Okay. Four. All right, so my next story isn't an actual attack, 
but the staging of sabotage. Mm, okay. So sabotage. we talked about sabotage in World War One in a prior episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes. So this one is- That was is, our previous episode. Yes, yes. Uh, so this one is a sabotage in World War Two. So on June 13th, 1942, four Nazi spies landed, landed on a beach near, um, I'm, I'm going to try to pronounce this, Amagansett? Ooh. Sounds right I'm to me. I'm not going to try. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good to me. Anyway, on Long Island, New York, and it, they were dropped by a German submarine, one of the team members, George Dash, was found on the dunes by a Coast Guardman, John Cullen. Now, Dash offered Cullen a $260 bribe, and Cullen kind of went along with this, Cullen, C-U-L-L-E-N, mm-hmm. and he accepted it. Uh, kind of like, okay, you know, this may be a bad situation because obviously there were four four of these Nazi spies, and I assume this one guy on the beach. Yeah. So he took the bribe, but he immediately reported the incident. You know, whenever he left these guys, you know, took the money and left. <laughs> good good and guy, so, good guy. Yeah. So a massive manhunt began. On June 17th, 1942, so we're talking four days later, Four more Nazi spies were dropped just off the coast of Florida by submarine. Mm. They made it ashore at Point Verde Beach, located 26 miles north of St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. Uh, both groups hid explosives and other materials in the sand, and the intent was for both groups to meet on July 4th in a hotel in Cincinnati to plan their attacks. So we're talking about eight Nazi spies that came ashore two different locations by submarine. Well, yeah, you know, it's so weird. It's like eight. Um, you see them like having widespread, like spread invasions of like, you know, places during this time. It's very weird to say like, oh, just eight people, you know, we're going to go. I, I guess like they're trying to scope it out, I guess, before they do any widespread stuff. But, uh, you know, that's a good point. I mean, there could have been others. Maybe we never found out. Maybe about we didn't them. know about them or something. Yeah, very possible. I, I would assume very it's possible. It's a scary thing to think about, too. Yeah. I mean, New York to Florida. Who knows what happened in between? Mm-hmm. But anyway, continuing, uh, George Dash probably realizing that there was a search on for them because, you know, he was the one who was found um, on Long Island, uh, phoned the New York office of the FBI on June 15th. And, and in one source, it says he wasn't believed. <laughs> and so he went to D.C. four days later and turned himself in. Now, another source said he called the FBI from New York and told them he would be in D.C. in four days. And when he arrived there, he called and said, hey, I'm, I'm here at this location. <clears throat> and they immediately picked him up. Mm-hmm. So by June 27th, all eight saboteurs had been arrested. Uh, six were given the death penalty. Oh, God. Yeah, which was carried out. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, Dash was given 30 years and... Ernst Berger was given a life sentence. And what happened is one of the sources I was reading, uh, Dash had called Berger into his um, hotel room. And, and just real quick, all of these people had lived in the U.S. at some point. Oh, okay. okay. So they were familiar with so the U.S. So they knew where to go. Yeah, they knew where to go. They were somewhat familiar with our culture. So they could blend in. Mm-hmm. So that's why these these people were picked. And anyway, uh, Dash had uh, and Berger, obviously, again, had lived in the U.S., and he called Berger into his hotel room and supposedly raised a window. And he said, okay, we're going to have this discussion. And if you don't agree with me, one of us is going out the window <laughs> and one of us is going back out the door. And so Berger agreed. Uh, you know, he he was kind of like, I, yeah, I really don't want to go through this either. Yeah, so there's not many other options there. No, there's not. And so that's why he was given a life sentence because he 
kind of went along with Dash and wasn't really going to do this or said he wasn't going to pursue this with the other six, I guess never really either weren't given a chance, you know, by Dash to say, hey, I don't want to do this. Or maybe they were just hardcore Nazis and said, yeah, we are going to do this. Yeah, shoot. So I, I couldn't find, I didn't find that information, but those six were given the death penalty, which again, like I said, it was carried, it carried out. out. Yeah, I feel like the last episode that we talked about, you know, we had a uh, th- treason, or you remember, I forgot what that one uh, guy that put uh, accelerant on the fire at one of the uh, factories yes. or whatever. And then he was actually, I think, what, was he going to be given the death sentence? But then they decided not to do it. That's right, because the war, I think the war was over at that time yeah. and it hadn't been carried out. So, yeah. Yeah. Let, let, so let's not go into sense. that territory in a non-war time, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think other countries were letting their yeah, war let it, criminals loose. And so the Germany said, hey, why not give us this guy back? And, you know, so. Make a little trade. Yeah. So um, both uh, Dash and Berger were given executive clemency by uh, Truman and deported to the American zone of occupied Germany. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, there we have it. Again, I wasn't keeping count, but I think there were at least four or five incidents on U.S. soil. Well, that was four or five more than I thought were existing. Yeah, I mean, the fact that there were any that we were not taught about yeah. as Americans in school is a little bit concerning. Well, you know, I mean, I could see why people, especially maybe in like the, uh, shoot, in our case, we probably had textbooks from the 60s and 70s, I'm sure. Well, but, then uh, even worse, because... It should have been closer to the event. Yeah. Well, and, and, and my thing is, too, they probably don't want everybody to know that because we're like, oh, we're, you know, we're really secure here. You're safe at yeah. home. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Especially when it comes to the Japanese bomb balloons. Yes. Yep. Uh, or balloon bombs. Yeah. I, can you imagine something that travels that far in the jet stream and makes it to the US and, U.S. and certainly makes it to 26 different states? Well, how many miles are we separated from Japan? Like, I, I, I wish I knew. I know the... It's a lot. I guess I could Google it, but I'm just like, that's a long time. And like, that's a, you had to account for a lot of factors like wind changes and I'm sure temperatures, storms, you know, yeah, storms, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's just scary to think about. It is. And 26 states. I mean, how far over? Let's see. Let me go back to this. Um, let's see. Or we're talking about Oregon, Wyoming. Obviously, California. Yeah, any in Alabama, three hundred and three. Well, I know because yeah, how the circumference of the world is like not that much. It's not as big as you think it would be. It's like what like twelve thousand something miles or something like that. It's like not. I mean, we're not super super far out, but I mean, if you think about it, I guess six thousand miles is a really long way. But you think about it, like well, what you were talking about. If they launched nine thousand of these balloon bombs, where are the rest of them? Three hundred sixty-one made it here. Where the yeah? Where are the rest? (laughs) Probably like you know. Well, the thing is, like we've heard stories. before about people i know i covered it in the mothman you know thing they think that they're still undetonated like bombs or like you know shell casing or like whatever in point pleasant like you know there's no telling where those are they might be just sitting there waiting to explode for somebody uh, to mess with them they could be i mean you know there's some areas out west that are very densely populated you know with trees you know like Mon- you know say like montana that's like just just land and stuff like that or whatever i'm just like you know i don't know that's scary to think about yeah so that's my episode for today, the attacks on the U.S. during World War II, actual ma- attacks on the mainland during World that War II. we did not know anything about. we did about. not know. Yep. Wow. So. I enjoyed that. I think that was very, shoot, I learned, I learned something today. Yeah, definitely. I also learned that casualty and uh, fatality are not the same thing. Uh, in <laughs> not most cases, that's Not true. necessarily. Not necessarily, <laughs> but yeah. Well, all right, guys, with that. Our episode's done, and we'll catch you next week. Well, we'll catch you next week, guys. Bye, guys. Until Bye. next week. <laughs>